like that. You want to try that. Hello, everybody, and welcome like to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I hope you all are ready for an exciting, 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 exciting show today. Because, good Lord, I've got a lot to say. And gosh darn it, you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it. I don't know if you guys remember the old Seinfeld clip of the Festivus where George's dad says, I got a lot of problems with you people, and you guys are going to hear all about it. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but we got a lot to talk about today. And this is not an episode I was really prepared for doing or really one that I was, you know, excited to do. But as my old roommate from Penn, Kevin Rustler, texted me last night, I cannot wait for Wednesday's show. And before we get into what we're going to talk about today, let's go over some of the housekeeping items first. Make sure you follow Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all different forms of social media as well. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan. The show's Instagram account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you like and follow the Facebook page and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And of course, the most important thing you can do is follow Logan Blackman Show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And leave a rating out of five stars. It doesn't necessarily need to be a five-star review or be a five-star rating. Sorry, it can be any rating from one to five, though. I would appreciate a five-star rating a lot more than anything less than that. But you let me know how you feel by also leaving a, de- a description down below. And also, you can check out all of the things we mentioned before. Blog posts as well as podcast links and all that different stuff. On TheLoganBladmanShow.com, just search www.TheLoganBladmanShow.com. You can check out all our blogs on there. We will have a new blog for you out by, I believe, Friday. That's the goal anyways. We will have our Week 11 quarterback prospect rankings, which is insanely sad that we are at this point in the season. But you know what? It's also fun because... I don't know why it's fun. It's it's fun. <laughs> it's fun because we keep getting to do these different prospect rankings and stuff like that. But it's not fun because you're reaching the end of the season, and in some cases, you know, some are better than others. And when it comes to that, like I feel like that's a good way to start this off. But before we get into that stuff, and I'm pretty sure you know exactly where I'm going. Let's let's do this first. I feel like that's the best thing we can do right now. I think it's the very best thing we can do right now. I'll take a quick sip as well. All right, let's get into this, shall we? Let's get into this absolute shit show. That, that's the best way I could say it, really. And um, I, I I will say I am a little bit more calmed down today than I was last night. I will say that. I w- I, I, I'm sitting here on November 14th. It is 729 right now. I'm watching you and I take on Loris, a school that actually recruited me in high school for football. And I'm sitting here a lot calmer, a lot more tired than I was at this point, well, I guess uh, plus a few more hours <laughs> than I was on Monday, November 13th. But the, the I, I guess you could say the pain, I'm sorry I'm not the most animated person out there right now. I, I'm just trying to process how I'm going to handle talking about this whole thing or how I'm going to start really going in on what we want to talk about. Because for those of you who don't know, Monday Night Football saw the Denver Broncos take on the Buffalo Bills. This is the Bills' third straight primetime football game. Yeah, third straight. They played Thursday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They played Sunday night against the Cincinnati Bengals. And then now they had a Monday night game against the Denver Broncos. And past the Patriots game, so that Patriots game a few weeks ago, where they lost in Foxborough to a bad Patriots team, 
where they allowed them to score 29 points, allowed them to get their first home win of the season, allowed them to get their second win of the season, allowed them to lose to a Patriots team that scored six points against the Colts and benched Mac Jones for, I think, the third or fourth time this season. That was their last noon game of the season. The rest of the year is 325 and night games. So you are going to see a lot more of this Buffalo Bills team in primetime occasions. And as somebody that is a fan of this team, I feel sorry for the rest of everybody else out there. That's the, the best way I can put it. That is honestly the best way I can put it. Because going into last night and going into the past however many games up to this point, like going back to the Patriots game, or more or less going back to the Giants game, the Sunday night football game against the New York Giants, which saw Tyrod Taylor and co. damn near beat the Bills at, at Highmark Stadium, almost said New Era, almost said Richfield, almost said all the names of the Bills Stadium apart from Highmark Stadium. Going into Buffalo with Brian Dable, the old offensive coordinator, we'll get to that position here in a little bit as well. Going into Buffalo and almost beating the Bills. If it weren't for two bad plays at the one-yard line to end both halves for the New York Giants, they would have come away with a win. The same New York Giants team, I understand they got a lot more injuries. Tommy DeVito starting at quarterback. They just signed Matt Barkley. I just saw that on Twitter right before I started recording this show. But either way, this is the same Giants team that has been blasted every single game for the most part this year. The Bills scored 14 points against them. This is a Giants team, or a Bills team rather, that was favored to beat said Giants team by 15 points. They scored 14. So not only did they not cover the spread, they did not even score 15 points. That is insane against an entire backup Giants unit. So from ever since that game, I have been depressed is not the right word, but hesitant towards the rest of the season. And then that hesitancy got reaffirmed the next week when the Bills straight up lost to the New England Patriots. I think the score was 25-29, where the Patriots scored a like 80 on an 80-70 yard, whatever, touchdown drive to end up winning the game. Like depressing stuff. Very depressing stuff. So ever since that Patriots game, people have asked me, what do you think the Bills are going to do this week? Like the Buccaneers game, the Bengals game, the Broncos game. I had people ask me, do you think the Bills are going to cover? I am not telling you to bet on the Bills at all the rest of the season. If anything, I'm going to tell you not to bet on the Bills. I will tell you this. The past three games for the Buffalo Bills, there has been one team that scored 24 points. 24. Two of the last three games saw the final score the exact same 24 to 18 how many times has that happened? We're in the last three games for the Buffalo Bills. The team that won the game scored 20 more, 24 points. The team that lost in two of those games scored only 18. That is an insanely weird score, and we almost saw it again this week. We were three points off of it happening again this week, 24 to, or not 24, what am I talking about? The final, they, did they have, what was it, 22, right? No, it was 24. The Bills had 22. <laughs> awesome. So they were actually four points off the uh because in my mind, I was like, I'm talking about this being 24, but I feel like one team had 22, so I was talking like 22 to 21 or something like that. I was like, no, that was the score. That was the score of the game, and it would have been the score of the game if not for a 12-men-on-the-field penalty, which we will get to in a little bit. This is just the starter. This is just the starter about what we're going to talk about today on this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show, a highly anticipated episode of the Logan Blackman Show for those who want to see Logan down extremely bad at this point in time. Like last night, about this Denver Broncos game, this is a Broncos team, and I will give credit to them, though they got shipped 70-20 to by the Miami Dolphins, which is insane to think about, that that Dolphins team, the Bills beat the very next week by a score of 40-20, to 
and this same Bills team that beat the Dolphins by a score of 48-20, that beat this Denver Broncos team by a score of 70-20, the Broncos beat the Bills in Buffalo. Like, what, what, what kind of weird paradox are we in right now? What the hell is going on? But this Denver Broncos team, despite that game, they have played fairly solid. Like, Russell Wilson looks as close to Russell Wilson that we knew growing up as he has since he's been in Denver. He has 16 touchdowns right now. He had 16 all of last season. Like, it has been a very solid... For, for what the expectations were, I don't really know what everybody's expectations for Denver were, but with Russell Wilson playing as bad as he did last year and the offense looking as anemic at best as they did last year, expectations weren't Super Bowl. They were like, ah, oh, we pushed for the playoffs. Maybe they get eight wins or something like that. But they actually could get the eight wins that they're looking for this season, especially if they get wins like this. Their past two games coming off a bye. Like they had a bye in between these two games, sorry. Their last two games were against Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. They come out of that skin 2-0. Two and oh. two, of their la- two of their four wins this season are against the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. I don't think if anybody asked before the season started, if you said, hey, Denver's going to be 4-6 or 4-5, and fi- sorry, to their first nine games of the season, where do you think their wins will come by? Do you think they would beat the Raiders? Do you think they would beat the Commanders? Or do you think they would beat the Chiefs and the Bills? And in both games, even weirder about this whole 24-point thing, I didn't realize this till now when I watched the Chiefs-Broncos game with Brady, they scored 24 points in that game too. So the last two games for the Broncos had a team scoring 20, the winning team scored 24 points. So in these last... Five combined games for the Bills and Broncos. The winning team scored 24 points exactly. That is insane. That's actually kind of funny. In a really weird, sadistic way, it is kind of funny. Scriptwriters on freaking fire this year. But I do wish the scriptwriters, for those out there that are listening, if you're a scriptwriter for the NFL, I do wish you would take it a little bit easier on the Buffalo Bills at this point because from what I am experiencing right now is just depression. Like, I was talking about the depression state after the Giants game. No, no, no. That was just the tip of the iceberg at that point. This is full-blown depression right now. I texted Brady and Jared after the Bills lost the Broncos last night. I said, I'm done. See you guys next season. It's over. It's just flat out over. That's the the best way I can describe what the rest of the season is. It's over. And I'm usually a pessimistic person, so this shouldn't come out as a surprise. But... I've never been one to say, yep, it's over. It's done. I'm completely finished with the season. I've never been one to do that. I've always liked to have some sort of hope. Though I'll look at it from a pessimistic point of view most of the time because I don't want to get my hopes too high just to have them crash back down to earth, which I think is what happened to me before the season started anyways because I had the Bills going 12-5. and five. Right now they are 5-5, five and five, and the rest of the season they have the third hardest schedule in the NFL where they play the Eagles and Chiefs on the road. Back-to-back weeks, pretty much. They have a bye week in between there. And you play the Cowboys. You play the Chargers in L.A. You play the Dolphins in Miami. You play the Patriots again, which before the season started, I would thought that would be a win. I Guess what? They lost that Patriots team already this year. They play the Jets this week. Another team they lost to this year. A Jets team that just lost to the Las Vegas Raiders. A Jets team that just got absolutely beat up by the L.A. Chargers the week before. And you guess what? They could beat the Bills. I really wouldn't be surprised. I really have a hard time believing they're going to finish with my projected record of 12-5 and five with the way the rest of the season goes. The season's done. We talked about last week about this the record prediction from WGR saying the Bills could finish 9-8 and eight or 8-9. and nine. That looks nailed on at this point. And the thing was, the people that made that prediction, I don't think they had the Bills losing to the Broncos in that thing. 
Sure, the Broncos have been on a nice little run again, beating the Chiefs, coming off a bye, and then playing the Bills, beating the Bills. Russell's looked solid. He hasn't turned the ball over. I'm not saying he was amazing last night, but he was efficient in what he was asked to do. But I don't think anybody really thought the Bills would come into this game and lose to the Denver Broncos. So you're looking at the first part of the season for the Buffalo Bills as a whole. If I was to tell you where I thought these losses would come from, like I thought these losses, if we're going to look at the season as a whole, the Bengals game before the season started does not surprise me. Going to Cincinnati after what we saw in the playoff game last year, it wouldn't have surprised me if they lost that game, and they did. The Jaguars game, being in London, the Jaguars being over there the week before, we're looking at this from the preseason point of view. The Jaguars being in London already, Jaguars being a solid team, an improved team for what they were last year, and they were a good team last year, I wouldn't have been surprised if the Bills lost that game. The Jets game, I wouldn't have been surprised if they lost that game. But with a caveat at they had Aaron Rodgers. That The Jets game, if I knew that we were going to go into that game, after four plays we would be playing Zach Wilson, then there would have been no thought in my mind that they would have lost that game. But with Aaron Rodgers there, three losses is what I would have said is possible going in. But I thought they could win all those games. I might have had them losing to the Bengals or Jaguars. I don't think I had them losing to the Jets. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly what record I had there. But I can tell you this. I sure as hell didn't have them losing to the Broncos and Bron- Broncos and Patriots. I sure as hell didn't. Especially the ways they played in those two games. They looked like dog shit in those games. You want me to tell you what's worse? This game was worse than the, Bron- the Patriots game. This game was worse. Because you know what? It was like watching the first game of the year all over again, which is kind of funny that Sean Payton bashed Nathaniel Hackett before the season started, and the Jets beat the Bills when Nathaniel Hackett's the offensive corner here, running the exact same offense, essentially, what the Broncos did. They lined up 12 personnel like 90% of the game. They ran the ball 38 freaking times. Javante Williams himself had 21 carries. He was 3.8 yards a carry. He didn't even have 100 yards rushing. The Bills as a team had more yards on the ground with 12 less carries. Denver did not really worry about throwing the deep ball. Russell Wilson completed 24-29 passes. Apart from his amazing throw and catch combination with Cortland Sutton in the end zone, he didn't really do that whole much. A lot of his passes were shorter balls, intermediate balls, that would get some (coughs) decent yards after the catch. It wasn't like a lot of massive things. Like, he had 24 completions. He had 193 yards passing. And he had two touchdowns in this game as well. Like, good game. Good game from Russell Wilson, but this was just like watching the Jets-Bills game all over again. First drive of the game, James Cook fumbles the ball. Not first drive, first play of the game. For either side, fumbles the ball. First play of the game, fumbles the ball. James Cook does not see the field for what? Four more drives after that? Getting benched? So James Cook, just for context here, James Cook is in his second year in the NFL. This is his first year as the full-time starter for the Buffalo Bills as the running back. In his two years, or two, one and a half years, because we haven't made it through the full second season yet, in his one and a half years in the NFL, he has fumbled two times. Well, three times later in the game, but we'll get to that one in a little bit. But at this point, when he fumbled this time, this was his second fumble of his career, and his first fumble came in his first ever carry in the NFL against the LA Rams. First ever carry. The dude had 239 touches between fumbles and got benched with four drives for Latavius Murray. And I like Latavius Murray. I like what he's done this year, but he's nowhere close to James Cook. I don't care if James Cook fumbled. He has had one fumble this season, one fumble in 239 touches, and he's benched. And then this is what my biggest gripe with this whole situation was. So James Cook gets benched. The second drive of the game, they hold the Broncos to a field goal. James Cook still out of the game with the Bills' second drive of the game. 
And Josh Allen goes down the field. He throw, almost throws an interception on his next throw. So we almost had three, like the three worst possible plays happening back to back to back to back. Like you had the James Cook fumble, Broncos score, and then Josh Allen interception. We didn't have that. You would have to go a few more plays before the next Josh Allen interception, which would be throwing to Gabe Davis, who had the ball hit him right in the freaking hands and fall in the arms, the grateful arms of the Denver Broncos defender. The grateful arms of the Denver Broncos defender. You want to know many, how many snaps James, D- Gabe Davis played last night? 58. I'm pretty sure the Bills ran like 61 plays or something like that. How many plays did this team run? Hold up. Where's the total offensive plays? Come on, guys. Where's it at? Oh, I must have read the wrong thing. They only ran 52 plays. What was the stat? They said they ran like 58 plays on offense. Either he ran, he played in 98% of the Bills snaps. That's the main thing I want to take away from here. 98% out of the skill position players. So Josh obviously played every snap. The offensive line played every snap. Gabe Davis and Stephon Diggs both played 98% of the game last night. I can't remember what the exact number of snaps was because obviously if they only ran 52 plays, they couldn't have played. <laughs> they couldn't have ran and been in 58 times. But the point is, you're going to bench James Cook for his first fumble and 239 touches, and you keep Gabe Davis in for 98% of the opposite possessions when he led the league in drops last year, and he has three drops this year, and this one led to an interception. What have we talked about the entire time Gabe Davis has been in Buffalo? The drops are insanely concerning. They are an insanely frustrating part of his game. It's like if it's not some stupid sideline catch or toe drag swag catch or whatever, he's not catching it. Or I should say, there's a 50% chance he doesn't catch the ball. If it hits him directly between the numbers, you have a 50-50 shot of him catching it and the ball hitting the ground. 50-50. It's damn close. So when that ball is out in front of him at head height, God forbid, yeah, you got like a 10% chance that he catches that ball. And I don't want to hear people say Josh Allen threw the ball too hard. This is Gabe Davis' fourth year with Josh Allen. His fourth year. There's no reason for any point of that to, oh, Josh Allen threw the ball too hard. What the hell? I didn't see a lot of that, to be fair. But there are people out there that I'm sure think like that. Josh Allen threw the ball too hard. Bullshit, he did. Bullshit he did. That's an easy catch for an NFL wide receiver. And it landed right in the arms of, I think, Justin Simmons. I can't remember who else, who actually got the interception. It might have been Justin Simmons. It might have been someone else. And Gabe Davis plays 98% of the snaps. While James Cook is benched for four, four drives. And then conveniently, the next drive he comes out, he dominates. Josh Allen throws to him the first play of the drive he's in. James Cook finishes with over 100 yards rushing. Like, what? where's the consistency with this? That is how you lose a locker room. This is the same reason, like, for a different sport, Manchester United are having a similar-ish issue right now. Jaden Sancho's been pissed off at Eric Ten Hag, the manager for Manchester United, because he feels, for the most part, he's getting benched for doing stuff that Anthony, one of Eric Ten Hag's guys, has been doing, has been inconsistent in that stuff, but that doesn't matter because he's one of his guys. He's going to start week in and week out. Gabe Davis is one of Sean McDermott's guys. Gabe Davis has lived off that four-touchdown game against the Kansas City Chiefs to the point now where he's a freaking captain. I like Gabe Davis. I like Gabe Davis as a person, but they need to get an actual number two wide receiver. This is something they have neglected since the freaking playoff game. They have yet to do that. 
Like, he led the league in drops or was near the top league in drops, whatever, a year ago. So it's not surprising to this point. It's insane. Like, Dalton Kincaid's looked really good so far playing for the Buffalo Bills. So now you've got at least somebody reliable outside of Stephon Diggs in this game, which they shadowed the entire freaking time. Like, they have no other receiving options. They don't even know who their third best wide receiver is. They've started to figure out that's Khalil Shakir, but I don't even think they know that yet. You wouldn't know. I don't think this team really knows anything that's going on at this point in time. I have no idea they have any clue of what they're doing at this point. I have no idea. We've talked about this for the Patriots game and for the Bengals game. Where Sean McDermott has gone to the post game and they've asked about the offense. He's like, I don't know. I don't know why the offense is struggling. Why'd you change up offense going up tempo to now slow down? Uh, we got to try to find some other points in offense. No, you don't. Run what works. Stop bullshitting. Stop, run what works. And this game, the play, the play under center was working a lot better than going in shotgun. You want to know Josh's statistics from going under center? Four for four. You want to know statistics going outside of center? It was like 11 for 21 or something like that. Going from shotgun. The Bills are the only team in the NFL that religiously run run plays on third and one or fourth and one from shotgun. I don't understand it. You want to know how much more effective it was this game when they ran from under center with James Cook and Latavius Murray? Very much so. It's almost insane how that works out. Like, it's ridiculous how often they do it, and then it gets like a one-yard gain so they can keep justifying the fact that, yeah, you know what, it worked then, it's going to keep working the rest of the game. Thankfully, they stopped doing the stupid delayed draws that they were running earlier in the season, but they have two run plays. They have two run plays in this offense. They run them both from shotgun. If it's not for shotgun, they're running straight up the freaking middle, and that one has seemed to work better than their two run plays they have from shotgun. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Like, I don't even know what really else to say about that. Like, I can go further and further down the rabbit hole because it kept, like, the Broncos controlled the time of possession. And I can't even, like, put a lot of stick on the defense because they're injured to hell and back. Like, everybody's hurt. Daquan Jones is hurt. Trey White's hurt. Matt Milano's hurt. Micah Hyde was out this game. Christian Benford was out this game. Cam Lewis got hurt in this game. Every Jordan Phillips got hurt in this game. Everybody has gotten hurt to this point of the season. So I can't really fault the defense for a lot of things they're doing right now because they're playing with, I guess you could call house money at this point. They're playing with the cards they're dealt and they're playing all right. But this isn't a game you should have struggled that much against. I understand, again, the Broncos are playing solid right now. They beat the Chiefs. Congratulations. But come on, guys. It's, it, it's, so, it's so infuriating. They couldn't blitz, or they did blitz, because they couldn't send four pressure because every single time they telegraphed it, because the Broncos picked it up every time. Like, Ed Oliver was fingernails away from Russell Wilson like a hundred times in this game. hundred times. It felt like it. I'm obviously parap- I'm obviously exaggerating, but it felt like it was a hundred times that he was right next to Russell Wilson or anybody. Leonard Floyd, Vaughn Miller, and they'd send all-out blitzes like three or four times this game. And they did it the last drive of the game. They get a freaking 28-yard pass interference penalty. The dumbest penalty in sports. Or one of them. Taunting's up there too. But a 28-yard penalty? Is pass interference really worthy of a spot foul? Like, that's all Russell Wilson was trying to do on that last drive of the game. When the Bills sent that all-out blitz on fourth and whatever, all he was trying to do was lob it up to Jerry Judy and underthrow him so Taron Johnson would run into him. That's all that play was. There was no play design on that at all. 
It was just lob it up to Jerry Judy. We see the blitz. Lob it up to him. Hopefully they get a pass interference call and it worked. And it worked. <sighs> I'm kind of just bouncing all over the place because that's how I feel this game was. Just kind of bouncing all over the place. I, I don't even know if there's anything really remotely good to say about the offense. Like, defense played fine because, again, with all the injuries and stuff, even in-game injuries. But the offense was shit. The offense was shit. And obviously Ken Dorsey got fired today. So that's why I'm a little bit more calmed down. But even this game, it wasn't, you can't really put a lot. You can put blame on Ken Dorsey, sure. There were some plays that they ran in this game that made absolutely no sense. They never have anything open in the middle of the field. They never scheme anything open. Dalton Kincaid's touchdown, that's the first time I've seen anybody that wide open since Ken Dorsey took over as offensive coordinator. I don't know what happened. You can see that all the time when Brian Dable's there, they scheme people open. And now all their routes are to the outside. That's it. They have all only outside routes. They don't run any slant routes. And the one time they did, Diggs dropped it. Like the offense was shit, and Josh Allen was shit. I don't say I don't go down the route of Josh Allen's broken because I don't believe that, but this he is not playing very good. I don't know what the hell has happened. I don't know what happened at all. He played bad again. Like we talked about, he almost threw an interception on the Bills' second play of the game. He threw a bad interception in this one too, along with the one that Gabe Davis dropped. I think both interceptions were going to Gabe Davis. I'm pretty sure I've seen him throw the interception, the second interception he had. I'm pretty sure I've seen him throw that exact same interception already this year. Feels like all his interceptions go to Gabe Davis. I I don't know, (laughs) because he can't run routes. So they're easy to read. But the throw was terrible too. The throw was behind Gabe Davis. Like it's, I don't know. And the crazy thing is, is that he still leads the league or is like in the top part of the league in like completions, completion percentage, touchdowns, all that stuff. I don't think he's bad. I don't want to go around spouting that rumor. I think he's not a great quarterback. I don't think he's not top two right now, but like he has played like utter shite, absolute shite, but that, that is easily the best way you can put it. And for going into the, the entire offseason, I've never been more focused on football in my entire life. Like, dude, I see you in four commercials every single game. Whether it's Buffalo Wild Wings, whether it's Pepsi with Dan Marino, Randy Moss, and all those guys, whether it's freaking Paramount Plus, whether it's Verizon, I see that dude on every single commercial break, it feels like. I've never been more focused on football in my life. He's at every single freaking golf tournament. The way he's playing, you can't tell he's never fo- he's focused on football. Never he. This is the most he's ever focused on football. I have a very hard time believing that. Very hard time believing that. And I'm obviously speaking of this as a fan. I'm not going to be like, like I don't even know how you want to say this. I, I'm my brain's a little scattered right now. I'm sorry. But like I don't. I'm trying to figure out how exactly I want to word this. I take another sip of bush light. Like it's just odd. It's odd. That that's the number one thing I can say about this whole thing. This team stinks. They're bad. That's no no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They're a bad football team right now. And the injuries don't again, the injuries aren't helping anything, but every team has injuries. Look at the Houston Texans. Their entire offense is hurt. Do you see their injury report on Thursday or Friday? Do you see that? When they went out there and just beat the Cincinnati Bengals? 
CJ Stroud threw, th- threw for 300 plus yards in the game, and they beat the Cincinnati Bengals, the team the Bills just lost to with their paragraph long injury report. Like, I don't know. I, I really don't know. And like the 12 men in the field thing, missed field goal. It's like, this, this is such a microcosm for everything that's gone on this year. Like, it's just insane. It's absolutely insane. 12 men on the field. And, yep, there's 12 people on the field. Both back judges that were lined up by the field goal post, both threw their flags. Will Lutz missed the field goal. They get the extra yards, and he drills the next one. Like, you've run this play, apparently, per Sean McDermott. You've run it multiple times in practice. Why couldn't you get things sorted out? You called two timeouts when the Broncos had no timeouts. Like, you called both your timeouts. You couldn't get at least something set up, and you apparently wanted to bring in your big unit or your field goal blocking unit or something like that. Just bring out your normal special teams unit. Like, we ran this thing at William Penn every single Friday, or Thursday, every single Thursday. We did NASCAR drill. Exactly what the Broncos did, exactly what the Bills did. You bring your kicking unit out right away. We did this every single Thursday. I'm pretty sure we even did it in high school. But to have 12 men on the field and lose like that after playing like shit, and I don't even want to act like the Bills deserve to win this game, but to lose it like that. This is like the Hawkeye game again, where it's like the Minnesota-Iowa game, where the Cooper Jean putt returns, the big thing you're looking at, it's like, oh man, Iowa got screwed by the refs, and the Bills didn't screw- get screwed by the refs, they screwed themselves. But when you have a moment like that and the wind gets taken away from you, like, I high-fived my dad after he missed the field goal. And when it gets taken away from you, you're like, ah, crap. And he makes the field goal. You're like, oh, man, they lost because of that. No, they lost because they sucked ass the entire freaking game. They sucked ass. Like, it was kind of funny, though. They showed Josh Allen interception, and this is the the sixth straight game where he's had an interception, which is crazy. But then they flashed the graphic that he is now second all-time with, like, games with a rushing and passing touchdown behind Cam Newton. He just passed Steve Young. I think it was Steve Young. Like, that's Josh Allen for you. That's the Josh Allen experience right there. And there's not a throw in the field he doesn't think he can make, but he's forcing it way too much. I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I really, I really don't. I'm, I'm in, in, in awe of what's happened. My dad said it last night. I never thought I'd be feeling this way about this team. Like with how much talent there is on this roster. And you are 10th in the AFC playoff picture. You are 10th with losses to Denver and New England and a Jets team that has Zach Wilson. And that awful off the line with the Jets. You almost lost the Giants at home. Like, I'm trying to think of like any way I can be somewhat coherent about anything that I'm trying to talk about, but I can't. So my brain is literally just all over the place. They look broken. Like it, That's the best way I could put it. They looked absolutely broken last night. Josh Allen scored a touchdown last night, and guess what? He didn't react, which I'm thankful he didn't. Sure, you get to take the lead, but you played like shit the entire freaking time. I'm not saying he has to be an absolute robot about it, but yeah, you don't need to celebrate after that. Get your ass back to the sideline. Every single time he does anything, he sits by himself. No one says anything to him. Not one person. And people want to go back to the whole dig situation last year. Yeah, the more as time passes, the more I'm happy Diggs did that. Because no one else in this team is doing that. Not one person. 
And, like, the discourse around Josh Allen now is just freaking insane. I saw someone comment on a post on Twitter, Did, is Josh Allen worth his contract? What, his contract that he signed, like, three years ago? The contract that makes him, I think, the 10th or 11th highest paid player in the NFL? Yeah, I think he deserves it, especially when you look at the quarterbacks that are paid more than him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he deserves his contract. And the fact that 12% of 168 people voted hell no... Like, I know we're in an overreactionary time right now where everything's like, it's either great or it's horrible. And I might be doing a little bit of that right now, but Josh Allen is not horrible. <laughs> He's playing like absolute dog shit right now. And it's easy to blame Dorsey for everything, but the players need to execute. And I know there's some plays that Dorsey runs and a lot of the schematics that he has need the players to execute to a perfect 10 every single freaking time, but you can at least go to a freaking 8. I don't even think they've gotten to an 8 since the Dolphins game. And that Commanders game, they scored 30-plus points in that game. They didn't look great in that game, which is insane to think about because that was all the defense. Like, Terrell Bernard did literally everything. Epineza did stuff in that game. Like, it was, it's insane. Like, it just looked broken. And that's why Dorsey got fired. We knew something was going to happen either this week or into the bye week. Something was going to happen. It was guaranteed to happen. After listening to what Sean McDermott talked about at the press conference last night, basically going like, we got to give credit to the defense played the hell of a game. Because before it's like, oh, we have to go back and look at the tape. Which he did say that, because he always will say that. We got to go look at the tape, see how we analyze it. But it was obvious Dorsey was getting the sack. And Dorsey's the guy who's going to get the scapegoat. And Joe Brady comes in. As the offensive coordinator has been the quarterback coach for the Buffalo Bills for the past two years, he has offensive coordinator experience. He did it down at LSU and Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson. Those guys won the natty. He did it in Carolina but got fired because Matt Rule had the middle and everything and he got fired basically because he couldn't establish a run game without Christian McCaffrey and that terrible offense. Shocker. So now he's going to be the Bills offensive coordinator. And he's back with a head coach that meddles in everything. Like, Sean, we've said this a thousand times about Sean McDermott, and it's like the 12 men on the field thing. He overthinks literally everything. He's trying to be an offensive co defense coordinator and a head coach. It's not working. He can be a defensive coordinator. He can't be a head coach and a defensive coordinator. And right now, where you're looking at the 12 players on the field, you look at the challenge against the Bengals, and you look at even going back, Look at some of the games they've had where they've just been absolutely outcoached on numerous occasions. It's not even just like one thing. I'm trying to find my screenshot of all the things that they've, yeah. McDermott era has brought us to many monumental losses. 13 seconds, Kansas City. Houston meltdown in 2019. The playoff game, Josh Allen's second year in the league. Winning at the end of the first half, ended up losing that game in overtime. Game they should have won. Since he no show last year in the playoffs. Yeah. Absolutely got blasted. Arizona Hail Mary. Yeah, the Kyler Murray, the Hail Murray play. Tennessee goal line stuff, 2021. Remember what happened in that game? That was a Monday night game in Tennessee. Tampa Bay overtime loss, 2021. The holding calls that we talked about before. Minnesota overtime loss last year. They had 12 players on the field in that game too. That drive where, they, where Josh Allen ultimately fumbled at the one-yard line. Their own one-yard line. It got recovered for a touchdown. A touchdown saved you. I try to forget about the game, but... They had 12 people on the field that last Minnesota play. So we could have had a similar situation to what happened here. And the Bills lost that game anyways, regardless if it got called or not. Mac Jones' comeback this year, the drive to get them to 29 points, basically walk it off, and then 12 men on the field versus Denver. And you can put it the challenge against Cincinnati this year. It's, it's just bad. 
And every single statistic that gets brought up about this team relates back to Josh Allen's rookie year, which was a 6-10 and team. Which, at that time, that was punching above their weight. That team was not supposed to be 6-10. and Especially with Josh Allen getting hurt multiple times in the season. Or not multiple times, missing multiple weeks with an elbow injury. And then Matt Bartley coming in off the couch playing one game. Derek Anderson coming off the golf course. Nathan Peterman being there. Like, there's so many things that went on in that rookie year for Josh, and they still managed to finish 6-10, and 10, and I don't know how they did it. Absolutely don't know how they did it, especially with the expectations for Josh Allen during that rookie year. But this is now with Dorsey being fired, again, being the scapegoat for this team, being as horrific as they are. This is now Sean McDermott's fourth offensive coordinator. This is fourth offensive coordinator. And Sean McDermott in the past nine months has fired his offensive coordinator and whatever you want to call it happened with Leslie Frazier. Like we said this going into the season this year, after the Bengals game, we said clean house. We weren't at the Sean McDermott doorstep yet, but we were talking about Dorsey and Leslie Frazier. And my big gripe with Ken Dorsey at that time before the playoff game, let alone it being an absolute shit show, the fact that Ken Dorsey was interviewing with the Carolina Panthers job that Friday before the Bills played the Bengals on Sunday. Like, once that happened, I was like, okay, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. And then he has moments where it's like, oh, look how good this offense can be. You have the games against the freaking Titans, the Rams. You look at the game against the Dolphins this year. You look at game the Raiders game after they lost the Jets. Like, games like that, it's like, man, he could... Maybe we could do something here. And then you have these past however many games where the offense is completely inept. I don't know. I don't know. Players suck. Coaching sucks. I, it's just everything's bad. Jeez. And the crazy thing is, I'm pretty sure Josh Allen still leads the league in touchdowns. Which is insane. Absolutely insane. And people keep talking about the interception, which I'm... Like, they're terrible interceptions. But as we brought up last Wednesday... There's a lot of quarterbacks with nine, eight, seven, eight, nine interceptions this season and 10 interceptions this season. And some of them are coming off bye weeks or have had bye weeks. Josh Allen hasn't had his bye week yet. So they can catch up to his league leading interceptions. But man, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. So we'll see how Joe Brady does. He obviously has the experience of being an offensive coordinator before. Well, see, maybe he unlocks something. Maybe he get, Maybe he's got a whole different thing. And Sean McDermott said in the press conference today that this was his decision and his decision alone. He talked to Josh, whose Dorsey was Josh's guy. But he never let Josh Allen pick coaches again. <laughs> just, just do that. Because apart from those two games last year and the one game this year, you could argue the Raiders game too, it hasn't been fun. It hadn't really been that fun. And I love all the statistics that's like, oh, he's actually been a pretty good offense coordinator. No, he he hasn't really. But I think he gets a lot more blame than what he should because the players have sucked. It's just the long and short of it. I'm not as animated as I was last night, but again, it's just draining. This loss was the worst loss they've had this season. Because this loss, you're looking at the rest of the season – like you could try to right the ship after the Patriots game. You still have enough room to work with. And you still got games to work with here. But again, after the Jets game, a team you've already lost to, which is this week, you play the Eagles in Philly. You have a bye week. Chiefs in Arrowhead, which you've had success in Arrowhead again in the regular season. Then you play the Cowboys. Then you go to LA to play the Chargers, who just put up, what, 40 points this week? But they gave up a 45 or however much of the Lions. And you play the Patriots again, team you lost. So I guess that game's at noon. They just flexed that game to noon, which I would too. 
and then you at the Dolphins again. You've lost four of your last five games. You've lost, or no, 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 sorry. You've lost three of your last four games. You lost four of your last six games. And both two of those wins that you had in there were won by a combined, what, 11 points? Fun stuff. You, mean, you can't even beat these two teams combined by the amount of points you're favored to beat the Giants by. <laughs> I don't know. Just to pray. The fumble, Josh Allen's fumble, where he didn't even get the ball to get to James Cook. Like, I... Let's see. We're on a we're on a path right now to where we're talking about cleaning house. This is a team that should not be anywhere close to this bad. We're on par with the Colts and Raiders. Who would have guessed that before the season started? The Buffalo Bills would be on par with the Raiders and the Colts for records. Who the hell would have thought that, huh? Not I, said the dog. Well, actually, I shouldn't say the dog because there ain't no dogs in this team right now. <laughs> I don't even know who you'd say has been playing great. I mean, Diggs is getting his numbers, but Bernard's played well. Epineza plays well when he's good, when he's in. But Von Miller keeps playing, and he's done nothing because he's not 100% healthy and definitely not confident in his knee, which is not surprising because he's 35 years old, 34 years old, coming off his second ACL injury. Like the number of mo- the amount of money tied down to Trey White, Von Miller, and Dawson Knox for next season is, is insane. It's somewhat depressing. The Bills are the oldest roster in the NFL. You don't win a lot of games by doing that. You just don't. And that's the situation which we find ourselves in right now where you're not winning a lot of games. And when you are, you're looking like dog shit doing it. They haven't scored 25 points since the Dolphins game. 25 points for this team with a quarterback like Josh Allen. You haven't scored 25 points in a game since the Dolphins game? In the last few games, they have scored 22, 18, 24, 25, and 14. Or no, 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 sorry. Patriots game, 25 points. I guess I forgot the Patriots game. I tried to forget that game exists. Out of all the games I have, that's one of them I forget. I'll try to forget the Broncos game existed. But since he's been in Buffalo, Sean McDermott has fired an offense coordinator, defense coordinator, and special teams coordinator. We have now reached a point where there's not, there's, we're out of people to fire. That's the point we have reached at this point for the Buffalo Bills. And I understand Sean McDermott signed a new contract. I know Terry Bagula really likes Sean McDermott. I realize Sean McDermott has been here for a long time. I realize Sean McDermott is the all-time winningest coach in regards to win percentage for the Buffalo Bills in regular season history. But as we've talked about numerous times, every single year they get outcoached in the playoffs. And this year, this 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 press conference last night was just a I'm trying to save my job. I'm not the reason we're losing shit. That I wasn't surprised about, but you just don't want to hear it from a team that's had so much regular season success. Like every year since Josh Allen's third year in the NFL, they've gotten worse. AFC Championship game, lost to the Chiefs. Divisional round game, 13 seconds. Divisional ground game last year, get absolutely ass-blasted by the Bengals. That's putting it nicely. That game was way worse than what the score suggested. Terrible-ass game. That's why shot, That's why Leslie Frazier got fired. Remember that game? The touchdowns the Bengals had in that game were just wide open. The 13-second stuff. Defense playing prevent. With the Chiefs had three timeouts guarding the sideline. Like, that's cool. 
Whoever told Tyler Bass to kick the ball out of the back of the end zone. Cool. Waste no time. Like, it's just... It's sad that this is what it's come to. And we're sitting at 5-5. Five and five, And you've got the third hardest remaining schedule in the league. And unless Joe Brady can again unlock some crazy stuff, which I've seen him do. I mean, hey, this guy was a part of the team that just won a national championship that dominated everybody. What kind of jump shot was that, my dude? I don't know why you and I is playing Loris anyways. Loris is a D3 school. I don't know why this game is even taking place. But, hey, more power to you, I guess. You played the NIT champions first game of the year, and then now you're playing You're playing Loris. Okay. But, um... I don't, I don't, I don't know what to expect the rest of the year. I really don't. I've been week to week. And now I'm like as pessimistic as I've ever been watching this team. And I apologize for being kind of scatterbrained with all of this, but that's kind of how my brain is working at this point in time. I don't really want to talk about that much of what happened in the game on Monday night football, but because that's just a microcosm of what else has been going on so far this season. Eagles. Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers, Dolphins are all left. This team might not finish above 500. But like I said last week, there's a chance this team starts rallying off wins. There is a chance. There is. I'm not stupid. It's a very low chance. But there is a chance this team could get their shit together. And maybe again, Joe Brady elevates this offense immensely. But part of the reasoning getting fired from Carolina because he was dealing with a super over-controlling head coach, and that's the situation he's in right now. <sighs> like, I don't know what the deal is for the rest of the season or what the deal is for the offseason and who they'd even get if Sean McDermott would be fired. Brian Dable seems to be, like, the number one candidate at this point for the Bills, but obviously Ben Johnson from the Lions is obviously going to be up there. I've seen some people talk about Jim Harbaugh, which is not happening because Jim Harbaugh would only go to the Bears or Raiders, I would imagine. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to expect. I don't. And then we had, of course, had Trayvon Diggs tweeting last night. I understand he's just trying to be a troll, and I, I, I get it. And I didn't think it was real when I saw it on, I think it was Buffalo Fanatics where I saw it, where it was like the, what do you call it? The tweet, but I made sure to get it. It was like, where is it at? Did I not screenshot it? I might have forgot to screenshot it, but where is it at? I had to screenshot it, right? I didn't? Essentially, Trayvon Diggs, the brother of Stefan Diggs, tweeted out. Well, okay, man got to get 14 up out of there. That's what he said last night. That was at 1037, so it was like right after the game ended. Man, 14 got to get up out of there. And I understand again, he's trying to be a troll. I understand that. But uh, then we've got his tweet today. I'm going to try and find that one real quick. Let's not forget, he didn't start going off till bro got there. It's like, dude, I understand he's your brother. And we all know what he's talking about here. He's talking about Josh Allen. Like, dude, shut the hell up. Because <laughs> let's not act like Stephon Diggs was this amazing receiver. He was a good receiver. Good receiver in Minnesota. Let's not act like he was this receiver in Minnesota. As Diggs, Steph has said before, they both make each other great. This isn't a one-way street here. Let's look at Diggs' numbers 
before Josh. Let's look at this. All pros, zero. Pro Bowls, zero. Thousand yard seasons, two. Zero 10 plus touchdown seasons. 100 plus catch season. All in five seasons. Well, that was Stephon Diggs in Minnesota. While also being the number two wide receiver behind Adam Thielen. Since he's been in Buffalo, two all pro teams. Two, soon to be, soon to be. Pro Bowl, soon to be four. We're about to have two all pro, or three all pro teams, sorry. Four Pro Bowl votes. 3,000 yard seasons, soon to be four. Two 10 plus touchdown seasons, soon to be three. 300 plus catch seasons, soon to be four. All in four seasons. So this narrative that Josh made, or Stephon Diggs made Josh Allen, and had like Josh Allen wasn't one of the top touchdown getters before Diggs got there, who was working in a receiving core with John Brown and Cole Beasley, who are solid wideouts, but neither one of the number one guys was zero running game, where actually he was the run game. I was in Dallas before Diggs got there. That was a pretty damn good game, wasn't it? Let's not act like this is just a one-way track here. Where it's just Stephon Diggs made Josh Allen. No, Stephon Diggs was not Stephon Diggs until he got to Buffalo. And he's aware of that. That's why he's talked about it. So Trayvon just literally talking out of his ass trying to start some shit. And that's fine. He can do that. He's entitled to do that. But let's let's calm this down because on Twitter and all these different forms of social media, the brain rot is insane. It's just a bunch of lobotomites that'll just look at it and go to anything and look at any reason to agree with something, they have a small, stupid take like that, they'll jump on it because Trayvon Diggs said it. I think Trayvon should focus on his ACL injury and worry about his own quarterback before he starts coming out for Josh Allen, who's been widely considered to be the number two quarterback in the NFL behind Patrick Mahomes. I don't care how bad of a season he's having this year. As Aaron Rodgers once said, his bad years are some people's career years. He's still in the top regards for touchdowns, completions, completion percentage, yards, all that stuff. And he's playing like ass. Like your favorite quarterback's not anywhere close to bad Josh Allen, let alone good Josh Allen. Let's halt the brakes on that one. And of course, Trayvon Diggs got 29,000 likes on that. Even FanDuel responded to it. Because FanDuel, I've seen a FanDuel thing... No one listens to FanDuel's Twitter account because FanDuel put out a thing that said Alvin Kamara or LaDainian Tomlin's like, get the hell out of here with FanDuel. And then someone responded to Trey's tw- Trey, uh, uh, Trayvon Diggs' tweet. Buffalo made the conference championship 2021, something Dallas hasn't done since 20, not, 2000. Jeez, 2000. No, I'm being disrespectful. 1996, before me and a lot of people listening to this were born. Maybe get your own te- get your own house in order first before criticizing someone else's. Very nice. Your bro didn't have a Pro Bowl to his name until he got to play with Josh. Sertan locked his up ass locked up his ass so bad. Got his bro talking about get him out of there. Wah. Like Trey got cooked in the responses to this, and everybody else like nah. Apart from stupid fan duel. Like I I don't get it. But again. The brain rot, the lobotomites all on Twitter. It's just like we're looking at this and they'll just grasp to it and they'll start sending it to people because it backs up their claim because Trayvon, his brother, or Steph's brother said it where he's talking out of his ass and that's fine. That's literally fine. He can do whatever the hell he wants. But let's stop acting like one made the other. Let's stop doing that. 
Because obviously Josh wasn't this great before Diggs got there, but Josh was also in his third year in the league. And who knows, if Antonio Brown didn't say he wanted out of the trade going to Buffalo, Stephon Diggs wouldn't even be here. Lord knows where Steph would be at this point. And I love Stephon Diggs. I appreciate him yelling at Josh Allen. I want more people like that. There were Buffalo Bills shirts going around last night that said Diggs was right. I saw a sign last night that said, "Fire Dor- all I want for Christmas is to fire Ken Dorsey, or is Ken Dorsey to be, to be fired, and Tim Settle, a player on the Bills autograph to sign. I saw Quentin Spain on Twitter tonight, or last night, sorry, or no, this morning, this morning, this morning, when, when Dorsey got fired. He said the wrong guy got fired. Like, there's so much chaos going around this team right now, and they had a players-only meeting in week nine. This is a supposed Super Bowl contender having players-only meetings in week nine. We got someone's little brother tweeting out out of his freaking ass Time out, he wasn't actually anything before his my, my bro got there. 14 got to get out of there. You fired Dorsey to scapegoat him because that's the easy scapegoat. He's the easiest one to replace. You got Joe Brady on your roster already. This is the third time they just brought someone up the totem pole. At first it was Dorsey. Now it's Joe Brady. Or second time, sorry. So we'll see how well he does. But at least he has off the corner experience. And again, I gotta keep saying I'm not. I do not want to sound like I'm defending Josh Allen this year because Josh Allen's played like ass. He played like ass last night. But good God, there's so many issues with this team. It's so infuriating. I don't. I don't even know where necessarily to look, and I, my brain can't even wrap around it. And I keep. I'll keep saying this. I apologize for being all scattergun. This show is all over the place, but I don't know. I really, I really do not know. I do not know. Like, the offense itself was broken. It was. Josh Allen himself, no. But he's forcing the issue a lot. And that's got to die down. A lot. So, yeah. And then someone said, Josh Allen's the only perfect game ever. And he did it in the playoffs. This app wants you to believe he was never elite. And that playoff game is not even the Chiefs game. For those of you who want to think it was the Chiefs game, it wasn't even that game. So let's just put his performance in that Chiefs game and just let me know, let you know the perfect playoff game wasn't even in the Chiefs game. That's the crazy part. Like Josh Allen's postseason stats for that year are better than Joe Burrow's entire playoff stats. Like the disrespect, I understand he's been ass. I'm saying he's been ass. He's been absolutely terrible. But let's calm down here. His bad days are some of your favorite quarterback's career days. Let's stop that. It just sucks even more that it was against the <laughs> team that shipped 70. That's what makes it worse. Uh, I'm just so fr- I'm Like I said, uh, I'm as for all as I, all I'm concerned is it's I'm done with the season. They could change it. They could change it and obviously be right back, but I'm looking forward to next year. I saw someone tweet out, um, Bill's fans should better rally up the mock drafts because – Got yeah, a top 15 pick and a hit different this year. <laughs> uh, if I had to give like an honest prediction of what would happen the rest of the year, like Jets game, they should win. It won't be an easy win. They'll probably win like 21 to 16 or something. It'll be a stupid game. A team they should win by 40. They'll win by five. The Eagles game loss. I'm not really worried about that one in Philly. Kansas City Chiefs game. 
for the season, I said win because they always do well in Arrowhead. But yeah, loss. The Chiefs got their bad loss out of the way. They have a bad loss every single season. They got their bad loss out of the way. That'll be a loss. Cowboys. Depends on what Cowboys team shows up. It's in Buffalo. It is. It's an afternoon game. I thought it was going to be a night game, but it's an afternoon game. They can win. Do I, right now, do I think they can win or will win? Probably not. So we'll say loss there. Chargers. Lord knows if Brandon Staley will be there to coach it. So maybe they get like this resurgence when he leaves. Defensive guru gave up 400 plus yards for I think the third time this season or something like that. Like it's he he'll be gone at some point, and maybe Kellen Moore gets in, put in as their new head coach. I would imagine that's the next stepping stone. Is Kellen Moore gets the head coach of the Chargers? I don't know for how long, but he would be the next guy once Staley gets fired. So who knows what happens there? It's in L.A. Lord knows how that will be. The Chargers, the Bills last time in L.A. worked out pretty well. They should win that game. They should. Lord knows what happened. No, no one knows what happens. The Patriots game. They should win that game at home. In the Dolphins game probably lose that one. Probably lose the Dolphins game. So, yeah, we're looking at a, uh, what was that, four losses there? Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Dolphins, push Chargers. I mean, the Eagles and Chiefs, I'm fairly confident in. I wouldn't be shocked if they got wins in the other ones, but Lord knows. So, you're looking at, at best, you got the Jets win, Cowboys win, Chargers win, Patriots, Dolphins. So, you got five wins. So, you're 10-7. and seven. I mean, given where we're at right now, <laughs> that'd be pretty sweet to get 10 and 7. It'd be pretty freaking cool to get 10 and 7. Oh my God. I don't know. I don't even think this show's been that entertaining at this point. It's been more depressing and just me kind of just rambling about random crap, and I apologize. But yeah, we'll see how the offense we'll see how the offseason goes. We'll see how the offense proves the rest of the season. Lord knows what happens. Sean McDermott's fighting for his job right now. That's the main thing we could take away from this. I think I saw someone call Sean McDermott Marvin Lewis. I saw someone on Twitter called Trayvon Diggs Tampon Diggs. Like, there's so many weird names going around right now. But hey, it's whatever. It's the NFL. It's Week Ten, and uh, the Bills are five and five with the same record as the Raiders, which is really fun. A team I predicted to win four games this year has now got the same record as the Bills. Isn't that fun? God love preseason predictions. But the Raiders they won Sunday Night Football against the Jets, the team the Bills are probably going to lose to next week, sixteen to twelve. Uh, Seahawks beat the Commanders 29 to 26. Sam Howell's looking fairly solid this season. The Commanders were one of the teams people would look for with a quarterback this offseason. Uh, that's not happening. Sam Howell way, looking way better in the fifth round. He was drafted, in, which we said at the time, which is freaking stupid that he was drafted all the way in the fifth round. Cowboys, he beat the absolute piss out of Tommy DeVito. Dak Prescott had four touchdowns with 400 yards, rece- 400 yards passing in that game. Sorry. 49 17. Carl's beat the Falcons with Kyler Murray returning. In this game, 25-23. We have the Browns beating the Baltimore Ravens, 33-31. With Lamar Jackson, two interceptions in this game. Yeah, that just keeps opening the door for MVP right now because no one wants to take it right now. Apart from somebody, we'll get to them in a little bit. Uh, Niners, after their bye week, they beat the Jaguars, 34-3. Brought Purdy three tutties in the game. Chris McCaffrey's touchdown streak comes to an end, and he declares he sucks in the postgame press conference. Buccaneers beat the Titans 20-6. Steelers beat the Packers 23-19. Vikings beat the Saints with Jameis Winston taking on Josh Dobbs. Vikings win 27-19. And then we got the Patriots losing the Colts on... <laughs> I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. Uh, 10-6 game in Frankfurt and the Chargers losing the Lions 41-38. 
Lions finally figured out how to use both their star running backs. It looked out. It worked pretty well. And the Bears obviously beat the Panthers 16-13. And obviously I skipped the Texans and Bengals won because C.J. Stroud at this point might actually be the MVP favorite at this point. No rookie has won in league MVP since 1957. That was James Brown. James Brown. Jim Brown. I mean, his name's James, so it works out. Not James Brown. <laughs> Living in America. Not James Brown. Jim Brown, the running back slash the fullback. Sorry. No one's done since 1957. And given how the quarterbacks aren't playing great at this point, you got Mahomes, you got Allen, you got Tua, you got Jalen, you got all the quarterbacks with a bunch of turnovers. Lamar, everybody's got a shit ton of turnovers right now. Maybe we see Tyreek Hill win the MVP this year. But right now, and given the current state of how the MVP trophy is viewed, if C.J. Stroud makes the playoffs, C.J. Stroud's the MVP of the league, which is insane to think about. Absolutely insane. Can't say he doesn't deserve it, though. Unflappable this year. Beat Luel Murillo in Cincinnati. Like, went bar for bar with Joe Burrow and came out on top. It looked very good doing it. 356-yard passing, a touchdown in the game as well. Devin Singletary, Bills legend, Devin Singletary, 100 and, what is that? 150 yards rushing on 30 carries. Zach Moss obviously has balled out this year as well. Another Bills legend. And, uh, yeah, just another fun little tidbit for you. But C.J. Stroud's looked really good. There's no other way around it. C.J. Stroud's looked really good. And given what the, we thought of the Texans going into the season, they are so much better than what we thought they would be. It's it's crazy what having a competent quarterback and a competent head coach can do to an organization. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Because there's no reason, really, the Texans should be as good as what they are. And they're 5-4. They're and four. They're 5-4 and four right now. But there's no reason they should be like this. Like before the season started, everybody thought the Cardinals and Texans had the top two picks in the draft. Because the Texans traded their pick to the Cardinals. Or the Cardinals would have the top two picks in the draft, sorry. With the Texans pick. After they traded up to select Will Anderson. But man, they are balling. C.J. Stroud is balling right now. C.J. Stroud has thrown, what, two interceptions this season? He has 15 touchdowns, two interceptions this season with 2,600 yards. 26-26 passing yards this year. On the Texans. And I know they got like Nico Collins. You got Noah Brown. You got Tank Dell, who we really liked. Dalton Schultz looking really good. Devin Singletary had a good game this week. D'Amico Ryans is balling out as a head coach. Like, they are just doing awesome. It's just crazy how expectations can change like that. The Texans are 5-4, five and four, and we're talking about how great they are. The Bills are 5-5, five and five, and I'm talking about how much of a shit show they are. That was the expectations going into the season. <laughs> now, there were some people out there that did think the Bills would suck this year. And credit to you guys. Credit to you guys. But, hey, if the Bills pull it off and win their next seven games, that'd be pretty awesome to finish 12-5. and five. I can get my score predict- record prediction exactly right. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to see right now. But CJ Stroud, man, I don't even know what other players you could really put up that, like, statistically, apart from the interceptions, Josh would be mentioned up there. Just if you're looking at just purely stats from, like, yardage, Yards, completions, completion percentage, touchdowns, all that stuff. And he hadn't been playing like pretty bad with those stats. Why? That's why I get a little bit of a like a, I don't want to call it like I think stats can be misleading sometimes. I think stats can be very misleading because like the interception last night, he's had a few interceptions that have been dropped by receivers that have laid in the arms of the defender throughout his career, not just this year. And you look at like the touchdowns. Like, the touchdowns are, he's not playing good. But the touchdowns tell you that all the stats tell you he's looking great this year. 
I don't know. It, it, I think C.J. Stroud has a legit case for winning MVP, and I didn't think we'd say that going into the season. I really didn't. And he's running away. He might be the first. Is he, has there ever been a unanimous rookie of the year? I mean, we've come close a couple times, but and I I appreciate what Puka Nakua's done. Like, but man, this dude's playing a damn elite level football right now. And we were actually having legit conversation. I don't know if I've ever sat down and watched a rookie play and thought that this guy actually has a chance to win MVP. Not even with Justin Herbert. And Justin Herbert broke every single rookie passing record. And now we're sitting here actually talking about CJ Stroud winning MVP. And you could say a lot of that goes down to how bad the quarterbacks are playing right now. And I think that's definitely part of it. But he's it's not it's not just because of that. It's not. And I do think it's funny. I remember a couple weeks ago there were some Texans players that said beating the Colts was the best thing that ever happened to us because seven was our dude. Well, you could have still selected him first overall. It, it didn't change the fact. And guess what? You weren't going to select C.J. Stroud if you had the first overall pick. So I guess that is kind of right. Kind of right in an aspect. But that's the, that's also crazy. Or you were going to select Bryce Young. I don't know if I said C.J. You were going to select C.J. Stroud regardless. But Bryce Young has had a bad year. Very bad year. The O-line sucks. The receivers are creating little to no separation, and Miles Sanders is back to Miles Sanders. It's the long and short of it. But he's not playing great either. It's not just like he's he's playing really well, but the rest of the team just can't catch up to him. He's working with literally nothing. No, it's it's that, but he's also not playing the greatest year. It looks like he's – I saw Daniel Jeremiah tweet this earlier today, so I'm going to steal it. But it looks like he's waiting for college reads to open up rather than NFL reads. And NFL reads, famously, are a lot quicker – than college reads. Everything's so much faster. The more you move up in football, the faster things get, especially in the NFL, the highest level of professional football. Things get pretty damn fast. So when you're waiting around for college reads with the receivers that can't create separation, you're going to be waiting around for a while. And that's part of the reason why he's been hit as much as he has this year. And I did say this before the draft, like there was the clips of him next to Kyler Murray like they might be the same height. I think they were listed the same weight or something. But Kyler Murray is so much like broader than Bryce Young is, if that makes any sense. Like he's not he's a short person, but he's not a small person. Bryce Young looks tiny. He looks really tiny. But it's I gotta I just gotta give credit to CJ Stroud, man. I just gotta give credit to him. It's it's crazy. I do think it's like we talked about before with the whole instant gratification thing. Like, I don't think that that trade, because everybody's been clowning it since it's ha- since the start of the season, pretty much, of what the Bears could get in the draft thanks to that Carolina Panthers trade. Because right now, I think the Bears have a 40-something percent chance to get their number one like a 42% chance to get their number one overall pick thanks to the Panthers pick. Like, I think C- Bryce Young will get his shit turned around. I think the Panthers will get their shit turned around. It just doesn't look great right now. Let's, like, calm down on the hold this trade might go down as one of the worst trades of NFL history before we've even finished his rookie season. Let's calm down a little bit. Let's calm down. But, man, that Bears draft, it could be a very fun draft for the Bears. Quarterback position will be a number one priority for a lot of people out there, but, hey, maybe they want to look at Marvin Harrison Jr. Maybe they want to look at Olu Fashanu at tackle. Maybe they want to look at, like, Dallas Turner, edge rusher. Like, there's a lot of different directions the Bears can go because it looks like they'll have two top five picks. Like, that is an insane luxury to have that not a lot of teams have ever had without even trading up to get them. Like, the Houston Texans, or the the Carolina Panthers, 
traded theirs away to the Bears. So the Bears got this one. They get two top five picks. The Houston Texans almost traded away two top five picks, but their picks now in like, I, I don't remember exactly. It's like around 15 or some 16 or 15, somewhere on there, which is right around the Bills site, which is again, sad. But man, there's a bunch of different directions you could go here. And the conversation around quarterback, it keeps growing as the season progresses. And I'm not going to spoil anything for Friday's post, but there is some conversations about who the best quarterback in this draft class is, which we have toyed with numerous times on the show, preseason, during the season, whatever. But the thing with this is, I want to talk about both of them. So obviously the top two guys are Caleb Williams, Drake May, obviously. And whatever order you want to put them in, you'll see that on Friday. And you can also go check out Week 10s as well. You can go to loganbladmanshow.com under the blog section or scroll down to the main page. You can find a link down there as well. The conversation around Drake May and Caleb Williams is a very intriguing one because they're, I don't want to say dissimilar because they're, I don't think they're extremely dissimilar, but they are different. They are different because from the similarities of them, they can both make plays out of nothing. They are both mobile. They are both great athletes that can run, that can kill you in the run game. They both can do that. They can both create arm. They can create throws out of nothing, arm angles out of the wazoo. Though I think Drake May has a stronger arm. Drake May stays more in the play than Caleb Williams does. I know it's something that pisses a lot of people off when it comes to Caleb Williams is his running around. Like the ball snaps and he's running around. Or he holds onto the ball too long. But that also goes down to, because we're looking at it from the broadcast angle. Not a lot of people are seeing from like the back angle or seeing the routes develop and stuff like that. And sometimes there are people open, yes. But a lot of the times when you're running around like that, you're waiting for routes to develop because as we brought up in the blog post before... It's hard to guard these receivers nowadays for one second, let alone when a quarterback starts rolling around and not only gives the quarterback more time, it allows the receivers to gain more separation away from the defender. So you're trying to guard a guy for five, six seconds. Like, that's damn hard. That is not easy to do. It's hard to do that for two seconds, one second, whatever. With the way these receivers are working nowadays with all these seven-on-seven camps, and I understand that works out for corners too, but... It's hard. Corner's one of the hardest positions to play in sports, trying to guard these insane athletes at wide receiver. So when Caleb Williams does that, it allows those receivers to break a little bit more separation. But in the same breath, that's hard to hold blocks for that long as well. It's insanely hard for offensive linemen to hold blocks. So it's it's, it's a catch twenty two kind of. But for Caleb Williams, so far to this point in career, it's worked out for the better for him. But that's something you can't really do in the NFL. Mahomes does it to a certain extent. Josh Allen does it to a certain extent. Quarterbacks like Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson do it to a certain extent, but that's not their entire game. Caleb Williams can throw in the pocket, but he likes to roll. He likes to run around a lot. He does like to do that, and that stresses some people out. The quick throws are not really there from Caleb Williams. The quick progressions are not really there, and that's sometimes what you get from an offense from a guy in college like Lincoln Riley that's so quarterback-centric, trying to make things as easy as possible for his starting quarterback. And that's sometimes, that can be a discredit to the quarterback as well. But the offense is geared to make life as easy as possible. Like, you'll see a lot of, the one play USC runs, like, all the time, is, like, a read option play, where Caleb Williams will read the DN crashes, and he'll roll out slightly, he'll dump it down to, like, a bubble router receiver sitting in the flat. That's a play they run a lot. And it eats up, like, seven, eight yards every single time they run it. It's a very solid play. If you want to start off a drive, get some decent yards, that's what will happen. But the reads aren't really there. And the running around for a lot of people, again, stresses them out. 
because you're not dealing with these insane athletes in the NFL. College is one thing. College is one thing. But one thing I always think about when people ask, could the best call, like when the Browns went 0-16, it was like, could Alabama beat the Cleveland Browns? That was like one of the biggest talking points at that time. The difference is, and why this is a stupid debate, the Browns would always win that game. And no matter if the Browns won 16 games or won zero games, they would always win that game because the simple fact of the matter is every single player on the Cleveland Browns is in the NFL. Not every player at Alabama will go to the NFL. Alabama is, of course, an NFL factory. Yes, I'm not aware of I'm aware of that, but every single player of the Browns is in the NFL. Every single one of them. That doesn't matter where they're from, they're the best players from their colleges. Alabama, they're the best players from their high schools. They might not all go to the NFL. And if they do, there's no guarantee that it'll work out for them. Some of those guys at Alabama might not even start for the Cleveland Browns. And that's been a case for some people. They can't start. They go to these big-time colleges and can't start for these smaller, not small, but bad NFL teams. It happens. Shit happens. So that's kind of the situation here. Like when you're working against edge rushers and D linemen that are trying to pressure you in college, that you can't pull that off in the NFL. Because not every lineman you face in college, for Caleb Williams, barely any of them, will be that big of a deal at the next level. You're not gonna you have not faced anybody like Miles Garrett, TJ Watt. Micah Parsons, Mike, Max Crosby. You haven't faced guys like that. So that's where it stresses people out. And I understand that. Hold on to the ball too long? I understand that. But the dude can make some insane plays. I do think the Patrick Mahomes comparisons, we've said this forever, are a little bit you know, wonky at times. They are similar. I don't want to make it sound like they're completely different styles of quarterbacks. They are to a certain extent. But it's a little. it's not as close as what people try to make it out to be. I think the comparison for for Drake May, for Justin Herbert, which you've seen all the time, is fairly close, but Drake May is a much better athlete than Justin Herbert. Drake May is an insane athlete from the quarterback position. And he's big, too. So he's got the size, he's got the arm strength. His demeanor is pretty much the same as as Justin Herbert's as well. Very low-level individual. Does not want any spotlight. I've heard him talk maybe three times ever, and that was all in a Caleb Presley interview from Barstool. For the Sunday conversations. The only time I've really heard the dude talk. Caleb Williams, we've seen him talk because he's in all these different commercials. He's in the Heisman House. He's in the, the Dr. Pepper commercials. He's in the Wendy's commercials. Like, we've seen him talk all the time. So we all know what Caleb Williams sounds like. And people don't like Caleb Williams for that exact reason. <laughs> but these games this week for these two guys, Drake May obviously played in Duke. Caleb Williams played Oregon. So at face value, these are two very dissimilar games, Duke and Oregon. But they're both very solid defensive teams. Both Duke and Oregon are some of the best defenses in college football. Duke's has kind of quieted down a little bit in recent weeks, especially after that game against Louisville, that 23-0 game against Louisville. At least I think it was 23-0 against Louisville. Games like that hurt. The game against Florida State, once they fell apart in the second half, once the offense, when Riley Leonard went out, the offense kept getting off the field quick, didn't give the defense enough time to rest, and Florida State ended up blowing them out. Within reason, of course. So Duke's got a solid team. And North Carolina has shown a couple times this year, whether it be Georgia Tech or Virginia, sometimes they can play down. And Duke, with their third-string quarterback in, with Riley Leonard out to a toe injury, and their backup also, I don't remember what their backup got hurt, but Loftus had to start this game for Duke. Second straight start. He started against Wake Forest last week with a dub. But this is a good team. A solid Duke team. Obviously, they beat Clemson week one. They, they hung with Florida State for a while. They hung with Notre Dame, obviously. Like, these are good football teams they're hanging with. But, you know, they're 6-4. and four. 
and unranked. And North Carolina, being a ranked team, should dispatch them, especially when you have a quarterback in Drake May that is considerably, considerably better than Loftus. It's what you would expect anyways. But Duke's defense played well. Duke's offense played insane. I say Duke's defense played well. They played well in spurts. Obviously, giving up 47 points is not great, but Duke's offense played so much better than what we expected. North Carolina's defense isn't great, but like it's just stuff like games like that. That makes it really fun to watch. When you have quarterbacks like this, you're always in games. And Drake May, 342 yards passing with a touchdown, also had 22 yards on the run with two touchdowns there as well. You get a double overtime game. Well, that's what you want to see. And Loftus, credit to him. I mean, 16 and 28, three touchdowns in the game. Jordan Walters, Duke's run game's always been good this year. Jordan Walters, Jalen Calhoun, or Jay, not Jalen Calhoun, Jalen Coleman, sorry, Calhoun's the receiver. Like, Coleman and Waters, they played well. They played really well. Over 160 yards of rushing in this game, or right at 160 yards, I guess I should say. <laughs> not over. Right at 160 yards rushing with two touchdowns. Like, solid game. It's all game, but then you go to the Duke, the USC, Oregon game. Oregon's defense is better than Duke's. That's what you get when you have a better football program in general. Duke's punching well above their weight right now. Oregon's not. Oregon's about where everybody expected them to be this year. Number six team in the nation, one loss, and that one loss coming against Washington. Yeah, a lot of people expected that because that's a game they lost last year. But going against USC, this is a USC team that we've talked about. We're talking about good defenses. North Carolina's defense isn't great, but... Duke's offense is not that great either, but they played well in this that game against North Carolina. Oregon's offense is good. Oregon's offense is very good. You've got Bo Nix at quarterback, Bucky Irving at running back. You've got Troy Franklin at wide receiver. Like You've got some very good options at tight end. you got Terrence Ferguson at tight end. Chaz Johnson, apart from the drop interception against Cal last week, had a great game against Cal. Had two touchdowns this game as well with 126 yards. Troy Franklin at 147 yards on two catches with a touchdown. And Bo Nix, obviously four passing touchdowns in this game. The craziest stat about this whole thing, and Duke, Oregon ended up winning this game 36-27. Caleb Williams did not have the greatest game of all time, but did throw for 291 yards and a touchdown. Didn't get a single yard rushing out of negative 11 yards in the ground with a touchdown in there as well. But there was a stat that I saw yard, not yards per pass. What was it? Oh, crap. Where is this thing? There it is. There it is. Yards per completion for Duke versus USC. USD's defense has been one of the laughing stocks of college football this year. It's been very, very well documented. That's why they fired Alex Grinch after the Washington game. USC average yards per completion, 11.3. 11.3 yards per completion. Guess, I'll give you five seconds. Guess what Oregon's yards per completion were. Guess. Five, four, three, two, one. If your answer was 15, you would be wrong. If your answer was 20, you would be wrong. If your answer was 25, you would be wrong. If your answer was 30, you would be wrong. Their average yards per completion was 32.9. That is insane. (laughs) 32.9 yards per completion. That is ridiculous. Absolutely stupid. USC's defense is bad. I had to screenshot that. Sicko's committee posted that on Twitter. That is insane. 32.5 yards per catch. 
<laughs> Good lord. And then I see people on Twitter, that stupid first round mock draft Twitter account, talking about Caleb Williams again, talking about what, what, where was the tweet again? What exactly is generational about Caleb Williams? USC has lost four of their last five. We talked about this last Wednesday. Do we need to discuss how USC has lost four of their last five games? Do we need to discuss how they've done that? The one game they've won, their offense had to score 50 against Cal to win. And the Cal scored 49. USC's defense during four of those five games gave up 45 points a game. We're looking at, what, 42 points a game now? So they've improved since Alex Drench left. But man, you can't, I hate when people bring it up wins and losses like this. Like USC's lost four of their last five. What is exactly generational about Caleb? Do we need to talk about what Patrick Mahomes' record his last year at Texas Tech was? And they weren't facing teams like Oregon, like Washington. You weren't facing teams. They got defense coming up in UCLA. That is one of the top in the nation as well. Utah, another great defense. Like Patrick Mahomes, let's pull it up. J-Mo, pull it up. Last year at Texas Tech, Patrick Mahomes went 5-7. and 5-7, and seven, Patrick Mahomes went. They played West Virginia, Oklahoma. They stuck with Oklahoma. And Oklahoma State. They stuck with Oklahoma State as well. So you're looking at games like that where they lost. They're counted as losses. 45-44 loss. 66-59 loss. 45-37 loss. 44-38 loss. 68-55 loss. <laughs> Cliff Kingsbury was the head coach of Texas Tech at the time. He's at USC right now. He is with USC right now. Like, it is just really funny how, like, we're looking at numbers. We're looking at stats and numbers and records. And that's where we're going to define as generational because his record's not very good. Because this team is not a very good football team. They're just not. They're not a good football team. Their old line stinks. Their defense stinks. Defense is awful. Putting it, saying their defense stinks is putting it lightly. This defense is awful. Absolutely awful. And then you look at, let's look, we talk about the top two guys. Let's look at the top, the other three that are below the top two guys. Like who could be QB three? So it's like JJ McCarthy, it's Michael Penix, and you got Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels, who we've talked about before, who said should win the Heisman, that Saturday, so Saturday, when all, before all these games took off, I was watching college game day. They flashed Heisman odds on the screen. Jaden Daniels was not even in the top 10. They had guys on there that I had not even thought about winning the Heisman Trophy. And Jaden Daniels wasn't on there. You want to know why Jaden Daniels wasn't on there? And it was even before this game. Like, we've been saying Jaden Daniels for Heisman before this game. The only reason he wasn't on there is because of their record. That's the only reason. We said this a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, sorry that it's going to be hard for quarterbacks that finish with records like 9-4 and four or 8-5 and five or something like that. It's going to be really hard for quarterbacks like that to win the Heisman. But if you take records out of it, there's not a player in college football playing better than Jane Daniels. And after this week, where he had what, let's, I just, I don't want to disrespect him. Let's look at his full stats. Let's look at all his stats that he had last week against Florida. Let's look at it. J-Mo, pull it up. Where's that? Come on. ESPN work with me. Oh, there it is. Jane Daniels last week against Florida. 372 yards passing, three touchdowns, 234 yards rushing with two touchdowns there as well. 
The dude had over 600 yards of offense by himself. 372. Hold on. 372. Plus 234. 606 yards of total offense in one game. That is stupid. And guess what? Because LSU is 7-3, he probably won't win the Heisman. That is the problem with these awards now because we're not awarding the best player. We're awarding the best player with the best team. Because Jane Daniels is putting up numbers that are just stupid. Like, I don't think Penix deserves the Heisman over him. I don't think Bo Nix deserves the Heisman over him. The only person I could see making an argument that deserves a Heisman more than Jane Daniels is Marvin Harrison. That's the only other person I could see making an argument. But Jane Daniels is the best player in college football right now. We've said this for the past however many weeks. The only problem is their losses have been against top, what, 15 teams. Ole Miss just lost to, to Georgia. Where are they ranked now? They were nine. Ole Miss is 13. So, yeah, they lost to Alabama. They lost to Ole Miss. And they lost to Florida State. Like, not the easiest run of games there with two of those games being on the road and one of those games being on a neutral site, which was actually in Florida, so technically a home game for Florida State. So you got three non-home games in these losses against three top 15 teams, and you lost. So that's the reason we're not going to give Jaden Daniels the Heisman. And Jaden Daniels just put up 606 yards total offense against Florida. And then this week he's going to put up numbers again against Georgia State, and this next week he's going to put up numbers again against Texas A&M because they just fired... Jimbo Fisher, I, had to, I almost said Kirby Smart, but that's he's not getting fired anytime soon. So he's going to put up good numbers in both those games. So he's going to stat pad, stat pad his Heisman campaign. Like, he's going, he's got to. And you look at the rest of the stuff. Like, Dane Brugler, he tweeted out something that was absolutely ridiculous the other day. Most plays at 20-plus yards in 2023. Number two is Michael Penix with 57. Caleb Williams is number three with 55. Jaden Daniels has 76 plays of 20-plus yards in 2023. The next closest two have 57 and 55, and Michael Penix and Caleb Williams. Jane Daniels has 76. That is stupid. That's absolutely stupid. And then where's the graphic I saw with the other guy? There it is. Top three Heisman candidates, Knicks, Penix, and Jane Daniels. This is just from one guy. I'm not saying these are my three Heisman finalists. But let's look at Bo Nix. 3,256 yards total offense, 34 touchdowns, total touchdowns, strength of schedule rank 53. Michael Penix, 35-33 total yards of offense, 30 touch, total touchdowns, 43 strength of schedule. Jaden Daniels, 4,082 total yards, so 500 more yards, over 500 more yards than Michael Penix. 38 total touchdowns, so four more total touchdowns than Bo Nix. Strength of schedule, four. And yet, he's not going to win the Heisman, potentially, because his team's 7-3. and three. That's over sitting now. LSU should finish the season 9-3, and three, realistically. They should finish the season beating, well, they'll beat Georgia State. They'll boat race them by 70. Beat Georgia State, and they'll beat A&M. So 9-3. Lamar Jackson, I think, was 9-4, 10-3 when he won the Heisman, which is ironically a guy everybody's comparing Bo, Bo Nix, Jaden Daniels to on Twitter now. We compared in the Lamar Jackson body size back in 2021. Let's pull that one up. Let's pull up my <laughs> my reasoning for Jaden Daniels back in whatever draft that was, 2021 pre-draft stuff. 
which is crazy that we're talking about it back then, like 2021 pre-draft quarterback stuff. Where is that? Preseason, not mock draft, not the preseason mock draft. You want preseason? Oh, no, it's going to send me back to the top of the page. Damn it. Come on. Oh, my. This is not working. This is funny, though. This is my first preseason mock draft from back then. And the website just crashed. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> what happened? Come on, guys. Come on, guys. There we go. We're loaded. We're back up. We're back up and running. I'm trying to get back to the 2021. <laughs> the first mock draft we made for 2021. Or should we do comparisons? No, we'll look at the week one quarterback rankings. This is just kind of funny to look back at this kind of stuff. And see the structure of the blog post back then to what it is now. It's just really funny to see how it difference it differentiates. Jane Daniels, 10 of 12, 132 yards passing, no touchdowns, no picks. 40 yards for Southern Utah. That's against Southern Utah. It's just so different than what it was. This this blog post I'm looking at right now took five minutes to read. September 20th, 2021. That's really funny how this all changes like that. I'm looking for the, the specific quarterback comparison thing, though. That's what I'm looking for. Draft comparisons. 2022 NFL draft comparisons quarterbacks. June 28th, 2021. Takes three minutes to read. So you can go back and look at it if you want to. If you're really, if you're dying to. Jeez, this is really fun. Jaden Daniels, Arizona State, Lamar Jackson. Why? Question mark? Jeez, look at this sick graphic, too. Sick graphic. Um, made it myself on, uh, what do you call it? Photoshop. <laughs> Why? Slender build, tall and skinny. Jaden Daniels, 6'3", 185. Lamar Jackson, 6'3", 196. Freshman season at Louisville. Really athletic Daniels is not, at, is not as fast as Lamar, but they are similar. Gus Johnson Daniels has feline quickness. USC, 2020, 111 yards, and versus Oregon State, 2020, 83 yards. Average 6.8 yards per attempt in 2020. Pretty strong arm, inconsistent accuracy at times. Best game, Oregon 2019, kept Oregon out of the college football playoff. True freshman season, facing the number six team in the nation. 20 through of 32, 400 yards passing, three touchdowns against Oregon. Let's look at this highlight I have here, though. Jane Daniels reads it, pulls it, tucks it upfield. Makes a few defenders miss. Ooh, Jaden. Going down the field. Number 20, USC. So, yeah, this is what I talk about. Like, we've had Jaden Daniels on. He's been on my radar for years now. Jaden Daniels cuts it out around the outside. Like, it's he's doing similar things to what he was doing back then, but he's a lot more consistent with it now. Like, that was my big thing. Like, his pass, his numbers in the run game were always really good. It was the consistency in the pass game. That was, like, the giant question mark regarding Jane Daniels. Was just, can he do it? Because there were games where he'd go, like, multiple stretches. Multiple game stretches without a passing touchdown. This game against USC was a really fun one, the way he's juking around players. And I cut this up myself. And they got the game against Oregon. I just put the full highlight thing in there. I'd even bother. Jane Daniels highlights against Oregon. That game was really fun. That was a Pac-12 after dark game. We got other quarterback JT Daniels is on here. Good lord, human! What did I call him? I called him a flesh statue. <laughs> oh my goodness!
Malik Willis, Michael Vick. Not as fast, obviously. Sam Howell, Baker. Hey, that's fair. That's a fair comparison. Yeah, they, they're just fun. This stuff's fun. I love doing this kind of stuff. But Jane Daniels, Heisman Trophy winner. And, uh, like, it's so funny looking at, like, J.J. McCarthy going 7 for 8 <laughs> against Penn State, like, 60 yards. And Jane Daniels have 606 yards of total offense. Like, it's just really funny how we're looking at all that stuff and how people will take that into, like, draft process and everything. It's different than just looking at him from college, but it's just fun. J.J. McCarthy didn't need to do anything against Penn State. He just they didn't need to do anything. It was fine. It all worked out in the end. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. We got a full offseason still. We got till April to get the draft stuff figured out. But, man, very fun stuff. Do I have anything else I really want to talk? I'm getting tired. It's 8.58 right now. We've been doing this for an hour and a half. Well, we'll quick run the Iowa State of Iowa review. Uh, Iowa, uh, 22-0 against Rutgers. Deacon Hill's best game as a Hawkeye by far. Like, he actually looked fairly solid this game. I did not think at any point that I would be talking about Iowa having an actually decent game and the Bills playing like shit. And Rutgers is not a bad football team. Like, this is a team that played very well against Ohio State the previous week. Like, this is not a bad team by any stretch. I know the, the stigma around Rutgers is that they're complete ass. And that's normally the case, yes. But this year, they're actually solid. Defense played well again. I can't really ask for more. Not necessarily the most exciting game of all time, but hey, it was effective and Deacon Hill looked good. Like 223 yards passing. Nice. We'll take it. We'll take it. You've clinched a share of the Big Ten West title. You go into the game against Illinois, a team you should be able to beat, but they had a very weird game against Indiana last week where they both scored like 100 points, it felt like, but they should be able to beat them. It's at home. Then you got the game against Nebraska the next week. If you beat Illinois, I think they've locked it up because I think they've got a two-game lead on everybody else in the division. So you lock it up if you beat Illinois, and you're waiting the winner of the Ohio State-Michigan game, which comes up in two weeks. Because this week you got Michigan is playing Michigan's playing Maryland and Ohio State is on their butt. No, they're playing Minnesota. So Ohio State beats Minnesota. That helps Iowa out a lot by beating the, by beating them. And then Michigan beat Maryland. That doesn't really do anything because Maryland's in the eastern side of the Big Ten. But, yeah, it's just a, a good game for Iowa. Nothing flashy, nothing amazing, but, hey, Solid, given what the rest of the season's been up to this point. That was about as good of a game as Iowa's played all year, to be 100% honest with you. And then uh, a team Iowa beat already this year, Iowa State. They absolutely rolled against BYU. Absolutely freaking rolled. I don't know how to explain what happened here because Provo is an insanely tough place to play, especially at night. Has been historically. So when Iowa State was given eight and a half points, I wouldn't have been shocked if people bet on BYU to at least cover. Because BYU, though they've been beaten by a decent scoreline each of the last three games, including this one, they were competitive in the last two of them. Like there were times against Texas, they were in the red zone for a decent amount of time and just completely fell apart towards the end of the game. And that's what I would say happened here, but Iowa State just blitzed, <laughs> blitzed them the entire freaking time. Abu Sama had ten, two rushing yard, two rushing touchdowns in the game and 110 yards rushing Rocco Beck looks solid again 200 yards two passing touchdowns like they absolutely blitzed them absolutely blitzed them that's the best way to describe 45 13 45 to 13 and right now the Iowa State Cyclones have a better record than the Buffalo Bills which is insane and for the final team in the state of Iowa review uh you and I uh lost to Missouri State and looked really bad in the process 
You and I was down 21 to three at half against Missouri State, a Missouri State Bears team that was now four and six, was three and six going into this game, that had lost their past two games, and it's just overall not a very good football team. Their two wins came against the two worst teams in the Missouri Valley Football Conference, Missouri State, Murray State, sorry, and Western Illinois. Those are two wins in the conference. They beat Utah Tech earlier this year for their third win. Like, it is a bad team. I understand it was on the road, but this is a game you and I should have absolutely dominated in. The way you and I had been playing up to this point, barring a few like iffy performances in the second half, especially against Illinois State, this is a game they should have absolutely rolled through. Setting up a very, very big game against North Dakota State in the final week of the regular season on senior day. A game that could potentially give them an at-large bid in the playoffs. And now, with this loss, we are talking about you and I potentially missing the playoffs altogether. Like, beating Missouri, beating North Dakota State's a big win and all that stuff, but Missouri State is a below 500 football team. I understand a lot of teams make the playoffs, but, man, that's a bad loss at an even worse time. Like, it, it couldn't really be much worse. You lose 35-16, to 16, and the game was never close. Never close. Theo Day did not look good in this game at all. Like, it was just bad all around. It was a bad game all around. Jordan Patchett, I'm not even saying, figure out how to say his name right. Uh, 326 yards, four touchdowns in this game. Yeah, 21-3 down at halftime. It, it, it's, it's terrible timing. Absolutely terrible timing on the part of you and I. I don't know if they were looking past Missouri State at all, going into that game against North Dakota State, it's a big game, senior day and all that stuff, but man, what a terrible time to look past somebody. I was worried about that when I went on Cole and, Cole and Company on Friday, which you can listen to at 1650 The Fan. I worried about them looking past them. I didn't know if it would actually happen, given that Mark Farley's a, the head coach. I didn't know if that would happen. It seems like they did. Very much seems like they did. And now you've got a very interesting game like it's a good, though beatable, North Dakota State team. And then for the rest of the Iowa teams, Iowa's got Illinois this week, as we talked about before, and Iowa State has got Texas. And it was just announced today, Quinn Ewers is planning on coming back to college, which is not surprising. He should come back to college. There's a few quarterbacks there in this draft class that should come back to college. Quinn Ewers being one of them, Riley Leonard being one of them, uh, Shadur Sanders being one of them. Uh, Carson Beck, I would imagine he's coming back. At least that's what it seems like, but Lord knows it could change. Like, there's a decent amount of quarterbacks that could come back this year. So, we'll have to play it out. But, yeah, bad loss. Bad time for you and I and all that stuff. But, yeah. But, good God. I, I'm, 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 I don't even want to say cautiously optimistic for the Jets game because I'm not. I'm not even, like, that upset right now. I, I was, if you would have record, if I record the show Monday night, we'd be having a completely different conversation. Uh, Kevin texted me and said, I can't wait for Wednesday's show with a laughing, crying emoji. And I said, dude, I'm going full scorched earth. And I didn't really go full scorched earth. I wanted to, but you have a whole day to kind of reflect on things. I think firing Dorsey kind of like, at least they're trying something. I I do, I do feel kind of bad for Dorsey because he's the scapegoat and all this, but it's not been good. It's something they needed to change. And I'm not going to be shocked if Sean McDermott's the one to go after him this season. I, it's not going to happen in season. My dad didn't think they make any changes in season. At noon today or 11.30 today, they fired Ken Dorsey. I sprinted into his office today. I got the update sprint. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. I sprinted in to tell him the news. 
But uh, that's all I've got for you today. I do hope you enjoyed the show. If you didn't, I sincerely apologize. Hopefully the Bills will be coming off a win next week when I talk to you. We won't have a show on Sunday. I mean, I'm, well, we'll try on Monday. We'll see what happens there. But we'll have a show for you on Friday, so stay tuned for that one. We'll have the blog post up as well. Make sure, again, you follow Logan Blavich on every single form of social media. And make sure to follow the Apple Podcast Spotify accounts. Leave a rating out of five stars. And I will see you all later. Peace.